champions. And back with another episode of Back to Falk, a Red Sox podcast hosted by me, Bradley Shatra. Now, I have not made an episode in a long time. I made a lot of promises on the first episode of Back to Falk, and I will be the first to admit I have not followed through on those promises. I mean, we all deal with some stuff, and self-doubt's really been something that's come up and, and really bit me, I'll say, in the last few months, man. it's You see the Red Sox space grow. You see how many people are making their own podcasts, how many people have these successful Twitter spaces, and and you have none of that, and it's... It ate me alive, man. I I mean, I got chewed up and spit back out. But hey, I'm not the only one in the world that's got problems. I'm not the only one in the world that got, that's got self-doubt. So let's get to what you are all here for. The Boston Red Sox spring training is underway. The Sox are playing well so far here in the Grapefruit League. Obviously, it only means so much. They are essentially meaningless games in terms of their actual implications. But I will say... There's a lot to learn, especially for a team as new as the Red Sox are. I mean, the last time I was on this podcast, I still thought it was going to be a real... I thought there was no way that they were going to get rid of Xander Bogarts. You know, I I thought they would find a way to bring him back because of the way the situation was approached. I didn't expect them to not even consider trading him at the deadline and then let him walk for a bag of peanuts in free agency. It's not how I envisioned it going. I don't think that's how many people envisioned it going, but that is old news now. There is a lot more to talk about in terms of the Red Sox. And the fact that they're undefeated in spring training is, it's good to know that they're getting to business this early. They're taking these games very seriously. They're putting up good at-bats. The focus is there that's good for a group that is as new as the Red Sox are. I mean, it's not like they're just running it back with the same old squad. There are a ton of new faces, and for them to be able to come out and get a little bit of a hot start, gain at least some type of confidence for this club, I think that that is a very big positive of this first week of spring training. I don't know how you can't take that as a very, very big positive at the beginning of this spring training. Now, Obviously, there have been some negatives. The pitchers are banged up. Sox starters are banged up at the moment. You got James Paxton. He pitched well in that game that he started. The problem was he ends up coming out with hamstring tightness. Now it's very much puts his status for opening day in question. I'm going to say right now, James Paxton's not going to be ready for opening day. If the way that the Red Sox are handling their pitchers tells us anything, they are going to be overly cautious. And you know what? They should be overly cautious because I did think last season we saw some instances where obviously depth played a factor here, but they were not as careful as they should have been with some guys. I mean, Schreiber, they ran him into the ground. He eventually showed the repercussions of that decision. You had Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock both injury situations that probably had something to do with the management of their innings. I thought Whitlock with the hip situation, it's hard not to imagine that that's directly related to stretching him out and and trying to force him into being a starter. Now, I'm not by any means saying I don't believe in Garrett Whitlock as a starter. I think there's some value there. I, I'm intrigued to see what he does this year with the little bit of experience he got last season under his belt. We did see him grow in that role. We did see some improvement. It just wasn't necessarily the Garrett Whitlock of the bullpen that was insanely dominant. And he's not going to be if he's a starter. Guys are going to see him more than once. It's going to be different. But I do think that Garrett Whitlock eventually could show 
that he can hang at least as a starter. I'm not up here and I'm not going to claim, hey, he can be an ace one day. He can even be a number two one day because I don't know. Based off of what we've seen to this point, I don't see that. But he does have a ton of talent. He's got good stuff. He throws strikes for the most part. There are things there that suggest maybe one day he can develop into a real starter. And if he does, Chaim Bloom's going to look like a damn genius. Because he went out there, he got that extension done early for a reliever. He got him on on a good deal, let's be honest, based off of the value that he brings when he's at his best. If they can get him to be a guy that can consistently give them five-plus innings, high and bloom, tip of the cap. But that's a lot of things I'm saying that have to happen. I mean, Whitlock has to be able to stretch out. He has to be able to stay healthy in a starter's role. He has to be able to be effective in a starter's role consistently. And that's nothing we've seen yet. I understand the point of don't fix it if it's not broken. And I agree with that as well. I'm not necessarily black or white here. I'm in a very gray area because me personally, I think Whitlock should stay with what he's good at. Stay in the bullpen. Be that lockdown guy that, lockdown guy that is completely reliable back there. But then the Sox go out, they get a guy like Kenley Jansen, they get a guy like Chris Martin, you've got a reliable guy in John Schreiber. They do have enough in that bullpen, at least on paper, to sacrifice Whitlock and give him a chance to start. It's not necessarily he's a starter, he's a reliever. I think really right now you have to view it as they made moves that allow them to try him out as a starter. And for the long term, for the big picture here, If Garrett Whitlock can become a reliable starter, that's best case scenario. For the short term, for this particular season, let's not fix what isn't broken. But that's not how the world works, man. Chaim Bloom has to worry about the big picture of this team as much as the shorter term. And that's why I think he made the moves he did. I think it's smart to bring in Jansen on a shorter term deal. I think it's smart to bring in Chris Martin because then you can... Have your bullpen situated. You don't have to deal with what you were dealing with last year while also being able to make some moves that ultimately affect the bigger picture of the team like Whitlock starting. Now, he's apparently not going to be ready for opening day either. That's another guy that they are concerned about his availability. I'm not I'm not necessarily... That bums me out, but I'm not necessarily concerned about the long-term health of Garrett Whitlock now. I think he addressed it in the offseason. Obviously, I think it's going to be tough to get around the coming back from an injury like that that he had with the hip, but eventually he's going to be healthy here. I think they're just being overly cautious, and that is okay, like I said. In terms of Brian Bayo with the forearm uh, tightness, I'll be honest, when I first saw that, I was concerned, and there's no way around it. I mean, a pitcher with forearm soreness, man, it's going to be hard to throw. It's not going to be easy to to muscle up and, and just get through that. But seems like he's progressing well after that original tightness. He threw it 80% the other day. I just saw a video on social media that he's throwing again today. I'm not sure if that's going to include off-speed stuff. I know the first session only included fastballs and change-ups, but... Nonetheless, it seems like Brian Bayo, that's not an overwhelming concern. It was just, again, another matter of let's be overly cautious here. We're not going to push anybody. Let's try and make sure that everyone is ready for the first 15 games of the season, I'll say. Because there's no guarantee these guys are going to be back within those first 15 games. But after that, if they're not back by then, 
that's when I think it's time to be concerned because as much as they have the depth to overcome these losses with guys like Tanner Houck and Cutter Crawford filling the spots, long-term, that's that's just not going to do it. I mean, you have one fucking guy that gets out there and 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 hurts himself again. Now you're back to a situation of bringing up guys that aren't necessarily ready, that might be ready, but aren't necessarily, you know, 100% full go like we were doing last year, testing guys because they really didn't have much of a choice. A window opened up and all of a sudden you call Worcester up and Connor Seabold get up here and, and show us what you got. And let's be honest, man, it was ugly from Connor Seabold. It, that could be a product of of being brought up when he's not necessarily ready. I'm not sure, but I don't want to go back to those days. I want these guys to get in this get in this rotation within the first 15 games of the season and keep it rolling, man. Like like the depth that they have with guys like Crawford, with guys like Hauk, if they can have a healthy pitching staff starting rotation, that bullpen becomes lethal. There's a lot of different reliable arms in there. So while, yes, for this first couple weeks of the season, it's gonna be it's gonna be rough knowing that three fifths of this starting rotation is out. Man, if it's just what I think it is in terms of them being overly cautious and they're back by after the first two weeks of the season, if you can at least tread water in those first couple weeks, man, you hit the ground running most likely. I mean, you got a lot of guys that will come in fresh in terms of Paxton Bayo, Whitlock in that starting rotation. You can then take the guys that had to pick up the load in Hauk and Crawford, put them in the bullpen, manage their innings well. I like the way this team is structured. I think it enables them to deal with these things that they're having going on right now. In last season, they were not able to have reliable options when guys went down. That is one thing about this team that I think is going to be different to this season and compared to last. When guys go down, there is going to be at least a reliable option that can fill that role until that guy comes back. They're not going to be completely screwed. They're not going to be signing guys you've never heard of uh, that are just sitting there in free agency. That's not going to be the case this year. I'm excited for that aspect of it, but... That all rides on if this is just a matter of them being overly cautious. Because if these guys are actually hurt, then then they're in a sticky situation. Now, another fun aspect of this spring training has been seeing the middle infielders. Because that's just another new aspect of this team is who's going to consistently be over there in the middle infield. Obviously, there's multiple options. You got Alberto Mondesi, who we don't know what he is. Not a lot of people do know what he is at this point. He has not been healthy in a very long time. It's just been consistent injuries for this guy. When he is out there, you see the amazing speed. It's it's off the charts. I mean, when you watch him run, it's you you notice it. It's almost it's similar to Jaron Duran, where it pops off the screen. You you notice how fast this dude's going. Now, in terms of second base. Obviously, Christian Arroyo is going to get his chance this season to be this team's second baseman after Trevor Story went down. It's looking like it's going to be Kike Hernandez and Christian Arroyo as the shortstop second base situation. Now, here's the thing, though. And Manuel Valdez has been pretty darn solid in these spring training. We've seen two homers from him. There's been a lot of hype around the swing. He's all over social media right now. He is the hot topic. Funny enough, after... He started to gain a lot of steam. Christian Arroyo goes out. He has a grand slam and a homer and shows us all why he deserves this opportunity that he is getting. 
I'm excited for Christian Arroyo to be the everyday second baseman. I've always liked him as a player. The problem is the injuries. He's another guy that you cannot rely on to stay on the field for, I mean, even 140 games, never mind 162. I don't know if he's played over 90 games in quite a while. I'm not sure. Now, in terms of his play, though, he's a guy that's good on both sides of the ball. Christian Arroyo is a good fielder. He's a reliable fielder, especially at second base. He's a good hitter. We've seen that. I mean, one, one of the homers, the, his first homer that he hit in the game with two homers, I believe that was a couple days ago. I mean, that was an opposite field, just great piece of hitting. Just go with what the pitcher is giving you. That was the approach that was the smartest way uh, to approach that particular pitcher on the mound. And Arroyo did just that. I mean, he squared a ball up, took it to right center, and, and it flew out. That shows why he was a first-round pick. There are times where it is blatantly obvious why Christian Arroyo was a first-round pick. He's got all the talent. This guy could be a very legit option for the Boston Red Sox. He's just got to stay on the field. But I do think Emmanuel Valdez makes for an interesting situation at second base because we obviously don't know when Montessi will be back. And if Arroyo does at some point go down, have an injury concern, even if it's a little one, I wonder if the Red Sox will take that chance to bring Emmanuel Valdez up and give him some time in the majors, see what he's got. He seems like he's right on the cusp, man. And that was one thing that really intrigued me when they dealt Vasquez for him was knowing this guy seems like he's almost about to hit the MLB. We saw the swing. There's you know that this guy has something. He's got something we all want to see at the big league level. It's just a matter of if the Red Sox are comfortable enough bringing him up and giving him that opportunity. We know they don't like to rush prospects. We know they don't like to take shortcuts. That seems to be very high on Bloom's priority list is we are only going to bring guys up when we feel as though they are ready. It's never going to be a reactionary move. I understand, but Valdez has shown some flashes here that he can compete at the big league level. He's facing big league pitching and he's taking care of it. I think there is a chance that if Arroyo does go down, Valdez sneaks into that second base spot and maybe takes over, man. I mean, I know he's not necessarily the best defender. I know there's some concerns there that maybe have to be addressed at some point, but the bat is something that may allow him to stay in this lineup. My question then is what the hell do you do with Christian Arroyo? I guess that's a good problem to have. Too many good players, but I do think there's an interesting dynamic here. Again, Christian Arroyo deserves the opportunity he's getting. I'm excited to see it, but I'm also very intrigued by Emmanuel Valdez, and I do think he's lurking back there, and Arroyo probably knows it. I mean, Arroyo is sitting there. He's seeing what Valdez is doing. He's He knows this kid's legit, but he also knows this is a big opportunity for him. I think it's a good dynamic to have. I'm intrigued to see how it plays out during this season. And I'm intrigued, period, just to see if Valdez makes it to the majors at any point. Because this is a dude, I I like him. I like the swing. I like the comparisons to Juan Soto. I don't think he's going to be Juan Soto, but I do think he has a similar bat path and, and the way in which he approaches hitting a baseball. But it's all a matter of when do the Red Sox feel comfortable bringing this guy up. Now, Arroyo, in terms of second base, he can play a lot of different positions. I mean, we've seen him take over at shortstop before. It wasn't spectacular, but by no means is he a liability at shortstop. That's intriguing too, because I do think that we have a situation here 
in center field for the Red Sox. Adam Duvall cannot play center field every single day. I'm not saying that he's incapable of doing that. I'm saying that I don't think his body's going to hold up if he's doing that. Talent-wise, I think he can take care of it. But in terms of his body holding up for a full season, I mean, I've seen the quotes of the guy, of the coach in Atlanta that said, listen, Adam approached us and said that his body just wasn't responding well to consistently playing center field. So they would move him to the corners every here and there. That's one thing about this roster I think the Red Sox can do, and I think Alex Cora will do because he's shown us in the past he loves versatility. The Red Sox need to play Kike Hernandez in center field three-ish times a week, two, three times a week, maybe even more than that if Duvall's body does start to respond in a negative way to playing center field this, this consistently. This is a guy that has never played center field on an everyday basis. That's a tall task to ask of him. When you have a guy that's as talented as Kike in center field, I think you should make use of that. Now I get it. It's going to be tough for Kike to consistently being moved outfield, infield, outfield, infield. But that's what this guy's done in his career. He's a utility player. He's played multiple positions his entire career. I don't think that's going to negatively affect him as much as as it would a guy that has never done that role. Kike's been in that role before. He's done it. Now, he wants this opportunity to play shortstop. He wants the opportunity to be an everyday shortstop. I understand. But listen, man, this team is going to need him to be able to move around. They're going to need him in center field at least, like I said, two two times a week. I, I do think Duvall in center field is asking for this guy to break down, asking for an injury. And the last thing you need is for one of the guys you got in terms of a power bat going down. The Red Sox need Duvall's power. Yes, he's going to strike out a lot. Yes, the average isn't going to be pretty. But at the end of the day, this is a dude who has the capability of socking 40 homers. We've seen it before. It was only just two years ago. And that was on two separate teams. This guy has serious power potential. I don't want them to mess with it. I want them to find ways to get him into corner infields. Maybe if that means Alex Verdugo getting a spot start in center field every here and there. Not the prettiest. But listen, that would get Duvall the rest in turn the the rest that he needs to succeed I'm concerned about that heading into this season just because I don't think Adam Duvall is cut out to play center field in terms of his body holding up he said it before Atlanta's coaching has said it before that's something the Red Sox need to make sure to address here they need to have a plan on when they're going to get him days in the corners, when they're going to get him days off his feet. This is a guy they need to take care of because I don't think we're understanding how important he is to this Red Sox lineup. They got a lot of guys that are contact, low strikeout guys, but they did not get a ton of power. That's what he provides to this lineup. That's what they need him for, and they're going to need him in this lineup consistently because of that power threat. Adam Duvall is important to this team. He really is. I... I think it's it's flying a little under the radar, just the assumption that, hey, you know, he can walk in and he'll play center field every day. I don't think that's the case. I You need to find a way to get Kike in center field. And I think that becomes a lot easier when Alberto Mondesi does get healthy. Because, man, if this dude gets healthy and he can stay out there and he's playing a good shortstop, which we know he can do, that's going to open up a really, really deep, versatile Red Sox team because then you can put Kike Hernandez back in center field more often. You can get Duvall in, in, in outfield corner spots. He can DH every here and there. 
Alberto Mondesi getting healthy and being consistently on the field, if everybody else obviously is healthy at the same time, I mean, that's unrealistic. Guys are going to get hurt every here and there. But Alberto Mondesi being healthy is going to open up this roster to be extremely versatile. And Alex Cora, I think, is one of the better managers at being able to navigate and and, and finagle with the lineup and and play to his versatilities, play to that strength that his team has. But it's obviously all riding on Monacy. It's riding on if they want to move Kike infield, outfield, infield, outfield. I think he's up to the task. I think he's a guy that's going to lead this team by example. And the only way to do that is to show, listen, I will do whatever it takes for this team to succeed. And hell, Kike Hernandez in center field is best case scenario for this Red Sox team succeeding. And while I mentioned Kike's leadership, I think that plays a huge factor into this season because of the fact that they brought a guy like Justin Turner in as well. Kike had a prior relationship with Turner. They are very good friends, such good friends that in spring training right now, they're living together. And just throw the living together out of the window for a second. These two guys have been in World Series together. They have played on very successful teams. These two guys, especially together, know what it takes to be a successful MLB team, to be a professional team, to approach the games the right way. That you cannot put a price tag on. I understand that Justin Turner is a little bit older than than J.D. Martinez. I understand it feels like kind of an even trade in a way with J.D. going away, Justin Turner coming in. But I think what they gained in Justin Turner is a new voice in the locker room, new leadership, and a guy who allows Kike Hernandez to open up even more as a leader. He feels comfortable enough with a guy that he trusts like Justin Turner as well being a leader in the clubhouse. Now Kike can really speak up. He can step into that leadership role. I've liked everything I've heard from Kike Hernandez this offseason. I've liked everything I've seen on social media from Kike Hernandez this offseason. He seems to believe in this team, and he seems to be embracing the fact that he needs to step up as a leader. He's no longer that utility guy, that young utility guy in LA, you know, the fan favorite. He's no longer that guy. He is now a veteran in this league that has to step up and take a leadership role, and he's doing just that. And I think Justin Turner is a direct correlation to that. I think that that is is really helping Kike to open up in the way he is. And I think all season, they're going to be the two guys that lead this team. They are going to be the voices of this clubhouse. And I'm in. I am in. I do think what I've seen on social media in terms of Xander Bogarts has rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. There's a, there's definitely a section of the fan base that feels as though it's okay to kick Bogarts on the way out and and blame him for the clubhouse being toxic last year, which I don't necessarily think it was toxic. I do think that there were some moments that weren't handled the correct way. But Xander Bogarts showed up every single day despite not having a contract extension offer, despite feeling slapped in the face by the team in that offseason. He showed up every day and was professional. Now, was he as giddy and happy as he usually is? No, he's a human being. But he was still professional. He still went out there. He was a reliable option at shortstop every single day. He was a reliable option at the plate. Did the power drop off? Yes. Did he hit very much for average and still get on base? Yes. Xander Bogarts deserves absolutely none of the shots he is taking on the way out here. Yes, what did he not agree with High and Bloom dealing one of his 
better friends and one of the guys he felt was an important leader in the clubhouse and Christian Vasquez. Yeah, you know what? He voiced his opinion on that. He's not a robot. I don't get where Xander Bogarts not agreeing with a trade or not necessarily seeing the the direction at that specific time. I mean, he didn't say, you know, forever. He just at that specific time for that specific season didn't necessarily know what the moves meant and, and what that message was sending to his clubhouse. But I think we got to stop acting like he, he just gave up or or he just stopped being a leader or he was bringing the team down. I don't think the problem in the clubhouse last year was Xander Bogarts. I think it was a disconnect between young and old. I think there, there were guys that they won championships. They knew what it took to win those championships. They knew what moves it took to win those championships. And there were young guys that, hell, I mean, they were doing their own thing. They were trying to find their way in the league. They they didn't necessarily know any better as to how these moves at the deadline were affecting clubhouse morale, anything like that. I I think that we're overblowing Xander Bogarts' effect on the clubhouse. I don't think it was as negative as people are trying to spin it. And I really don't love all the shots he's taking on the way out, at least in terms of social media. Hurts my heart, man. I love Xander Bogarts. I'll love him forever. Uh, it still hurts to see him in a Padres uniform. Now, am I excited for this Red Sox team? Yes, absolutely. But I'm not going to sit here and say I don't wish Xander Bogarts was on the team. Fuck yeah, I wish he was on the team. I loved that guy. I watched that uh, line drive homer in the wildcard game off Garrett Cole in person. I mean, it's some of the most excited I've ever been in my life. So I guess I just had to get that off my chest. But in terms of leadership... I think it now turns over to Justin Turner and Kike Hernandez, and I am very much okay with that because these are two guys that are established. They've played in ginormous games, and they've been a part of teams that consistently competed at a very high level. But moving on from leadership, I think the catching situation for the Red Sox has really started to heat up and become interesting. And the reason is, is because they obviously signed Jorge Alfaro on a minor league deal. Now, there's some opt-outs in there. He's got to be on the, the major league roster by a certain point, or he can opt out and, and go or choose where he wants to go, I guess. But he's a guy that is intriguing. I mean, it's a high strikeout guy, but man, when he makes contact, he makes contact. That ball flies. He's got some power in the bat, and that's something that this lineup could really use is the power later on in the lineup. Because obviously I think Alfaro would hit somewhere in that bottom three. But the power in which he possesses could be interesting down in that bottom three. Connor Wong is hurt. And Alex Cora a couple days ago said it didn't look good. Now it, it seems as though maybe he'll be able to make his way back. I, I saw a quote where he said he played through a worse hamstring last year. I'm not sure if the Red Sox are going to want him to play through it. That's my thing. I think they're going to take the same approach that they took with some of these other guys, and they're going to be ultra cautious. There's nothing wrong with that. Connor Wong is an intriguing option. He's a young kid that I thought had some pop last year in terms of, hey, maybe there is something here. Uh, we didn't see that the year prior, but last year I did see some stuff where, you know, maybe this kid can stick. Now it seems like he's going to be out for the start of the year. If he's not, that makes everything even more interesting, but let me stop talking in circles and explain my point here. Now, Jorge Alfaro, if he plays well enough, I would assume that Connor Wong gets sent down and, and he starts his season in Worcester. I don't know how that how the technicalities work because I do know Wong only has one more uh, you know option to AAA. 
I don't know if they do that before the season, if that counts as the one and only option. I'm not sure. But if he starts, if Alfaro shows enough here in spring training and, and shows good command of the pitching staff, shows that guys like working with him, if he hops in, there might be a chance that Connor Wong can't get his job back. That's going to be interesting here because Alfaro has the big league experience. He's got far more experience than Wong does. He's got a decent arm. He's got the power in the bat. Wong has some power there. We saw a little bit of that last year, but he's not a guy that pops off the screen in any means. Alfaro has the ability to really maybe club you if he plays a consistent, um, consistent enough amount, maybe club you 12, 15 homers. I mean, that seems like a lot, but for a guy that power is his tool at the plate, I think that could happen in a really solid year if he plays enough. Now, obviously, you got Reese McGuire, and he seems to be the guy, funny enough, that's going to be the main dude here. I find that funny because, I mean, I don't know if you hear that siren. hope they're not coming for me, but uh, in it, in terms of Reese McGuire, this is a guy that was a backup catcher that showed absolutely nothing on the offensive side of the ball and didn't necessarily really look like he was ever going to break into a starting role in the majors. And he's done just that for the Red Sox. It seems like a guy that has been good behind the plate. Seems like the pitching staff do respond well to him being back there. And he's all of a sudden picked up lightning in a bottle with his bat. I, I don't know where this has come from. Last year at the end of the season, it seemed like he unlocked something that was really able to just allow him to put the bat on the ball more often. Power's never going to be his strong suit, even though he did hit a homer in spring training the other day. But he did seem to be contact-based a lot more in that second half last year with the Red Sox. We saw the average over 300. I'm not sure what to make of Reese McGuire. I like him, but it feels like it's not sustainable. It feels like the Reese McGuire we got at the end of last season is not the real Reese McGuire based on what we've seen over the entirety of his career. I don't know what to make of him. But now you got Wong Hurt. Is there a chance that Jorge Alfaro could step in and grab the starting catcher role for the Boston Red Sox after being considered to be the third option? I think there's a real possibility of that, yes. Alfaro's intriguing. And, I mean, you talk about the offensive struggles sometimes in terms of the strikeouts. Again, while Maurice McGuire has gotten better with the contact, there's really no power in that bat. And let's be honest, do we think he's going to replicate what he did at the end of last season? I don't. If you do, I'd love to hear you out. But I don't. So I think that there's a real path for Jorge Alfaro here to gain a starting spot and be this team's main catcher. And if that happens... Sign me the fuck up, man, because I like this dude. I like the hair. I like the approach at the plate. I just wonder, is the strikeouts going to become too much? Is he going to strike out too much? Because I'm sure that has been a concern in places before here in Boston. But the power, man, if you want to look at it from the positives, Jorge Alfaro, that power, that could that could be a season where it's a surprise season. You kind of say, hmm. This dude's really balling out this year. And I think there's a real chance for that. That's why it's something to keep an eye on. Jorge Alfaro could become this team's starting catcher. Another thing I'm wondering about this Sox team is Kenley Jansen and the pitch clock. Now, we've seen the pitch clock really be an interesting factor here in spring training. It's 
we, we saw a fucking uh, a, a clock off. Shout out to Mike Monaco for that call. Also love Lou Merloni in the booth. I'm happy they made that decision. I've always loved him on the radio. I've always loved the videos of him walking his dog. That was a fantastic hire by Nesson, and I think it's really going to enhance just viewing the game in general. But Kenley Jansen is one of, historically, one of the longest workers in the MLB. I mean, this guy, he takes his time in between pitches. That's just what his routine is. That's what it always has been. And that's been really just how he approaches the ninth inning for a long time. And now that all has to change because this pitch clock is not going to be kind to guys that are taking long like that. It's going to make everything feel a little rushed if they go about doing their same routine. Now, Jansen can't go about doing his same routine. He would literally get clocked nearly every single time. So that makes for a guy that has been really successful in terms of the overall career now having to change up what he's done for that entire career. We're going to see a new version of warming up for Kenley Jansen. He's going to have to find a quicker way to get to the plate, and I'm just curious to see how that's going to affect him. Kenley Jansen always seems to have a stretch once, twice per year where he does struggle immensely, but he's a guy that has been able to snap back from that, and that is, you can't put a price tag on that for closures, because I'll tell you what, there are some closures that when they lose it, man, they lose it. Clay Holmes last year, Matty Barnes last year. There's guys that when they they just cannot find it again. And Kenley Jansen has lost it, but he's also found a way to get it back multiple times. That shows me that, you know, I, I can deal with the bad because eventually good is going to come back around. But I do, I do want to know, I do want to watch how is this pitch clock going to affect Jansen? How is it going to affect him when there is a save situation in the ninth? He's coming out. He's got to get three huge outs, but he can't do his whole normal routine. He can't wait as long as he does on the mound. He's got to get that ball. He's got to get back on the mound, and he's got to throw it. That's going to be different for Kenley Jansen, and I want to keep an eye on that because I certainly hope it doesn't affect him to a point where he's not nearly as effective as he's been in years past. Like I said, he's going to go through tough stretches. I expect that already. We've seen it before. My question is, is this consistently going to be an issue for Kenley Jansen? I'm not sure. I don't know what to expect because I do know somebody that has been as successful as he's been up until this point, having to change everything is not going to be an easy adjustment, especially he's later on in his career now, man. This isn't just even the middle, never mind the early part of his career. I mean, he's towards the end here and now he's got to switch it all up. That's going to be, that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Another thing I want to touch on here is Tristan Casas. This dude's different and I love it. I mean, I personally love different. I always have. I've always been, you know, drawn to different people. I, that's just something that has always been something I like. So I've liked a lot of what's come out about Casas that has been a little controversial. I mean, at first it was the sunbathing. It was, the, you know, this dude, his first day in the league, he comes out here and, and he's laying down and, and acting like, hey, it's no big deal. And that's not necessarily what he was doing. He feels as though the sun gives him a little more energy. He, he's a guy that likes the natural remedies to get going. All right. I can, I can take that. I was... I was okay with him approaching the game that way in the majors because that's what he was doing in the minors as well. It's not like he just started that once he got to the MLB. I mean, 
That's what he was doing. That's his routine. That's how he went about the game. I don't want a guy to get to the majors and change himself because, you know, he's concerned about what the the big league guys are going to think or, you know, you don't want that. You want this dude going through his same routine before games and getting out there and feeling as comfortable as he can possibly feel. I think that approach is right. Did it rub some guys wrong in the locker room last year based on some new reports? Yeah. And you know what he did? He's professional enough to say, all right, I'm not going to change my warm-up, but I will change where I do it to make guys more comfortable, to make guys more on board with how I'm going about this. I think that is incredibly mature for a guy that hasn't even been in the MLB for that long. He could have taken the approach of, hey, this is how I do things, and that's just how it is. And that wouldn't have got him very far. It probably would have alienated him. But instead, he says, listen, I want to be able to compromise here. I want to find a middle ground, and that's exactly what he did. He's going to be up on the Coke deck. He's going to be sunbathing up there, which that's kind of a funny image. If you can picture the Coke deck right now, or maybe maybe it's the Bud deck. Oh, sh- oh shit, now I'm, now I'm all messed up. Now I don't know if I'm right or not. But either way, it is funny to, to picture him on a second deck at Fenway laying out that that's a funny image. And I think that's going to be funny for some of the workers that work there. You know, they come, they're checking out maybe their section or something. And all of a sudden it's a Tristan Casas three hours before game time sunbathing or it's, that's funny. But another thing that's been really popular has been the fingernails. Tristan Casas paints his fingernails. Anybody who actually gives a fuck about that can get the fuck out of my face. That is ridiculous ridiculous if you actually care that this dude paints his fingernails i mean that's just it's absurd to me that anyone would actually make it a big deal it's absurd to me that anyone would actually judge him based off of that this guy does not give a fuck about the norms man he doesn't and he's shown that time and time again like i just talked about the sunbathing this is a dude that's a little different and i'm so okay with that i really am I don't want him, like I said, changing himself because he got to the majors. He's out here. He's going to paint his fingernails. And you know what? Hell, if those fingernails get me 20, 25 homers, fuck, I'll paint my fingernails. Let's do it. I'll do it all year. I mean, I don't care about these fingernails. It was a really hot topic on Twitter for a night or two. I thought it was stupid. And I just think, hey, man, this dude's doing what he wants to do. And I have all the respect in the world for that. I really do. He's doing what a lot of people have the fear of doing and being un- unapologetically his authentic self. Fuck yeah, Tristan Casas. Keep it going. I'm rooting for you even harder now, and I like you even more after all of this. Now, the biggest newcomer for this team is Masataka Yoshida. And I say the biggest because he's a he was a signing that I think a lot of people, when it first came out, said, wow, you know, that's... That's a decent chunk of change for a guy who's never played in the MLB. And you know what? That That's right. It is. He's never faced MLB pitching. It's a lot of money to hand out to a guy that you don't know what to expect from. I mean, this could really be a flop scenario, or it could be High and Bloom looks like the smartest guy out there. There's really no in-between because of the amount of money you paid him. He's either going to be a giant letdown, or he's going to live up to expectations and people are going to sing Hyam's praises. I don't think there's any in between, like I said, because of the amount of money he's making, but he's intriguing, man. The bat to ball is there. You see it in his plate approach. You saw it in some of the at-bats he had before he left for Team Japan to go to the World Baseball Classic, which I am extremely excited for. Watch out for Venezuela. They are the most underrated team. Ronald Acuna, they will make some noise. Back to Masataka Yoshida, though. 
I think this guy has some real potential from what I've seen. Now, obviously, there's the fielding concerns. That's been something since they signed him that has come out. I mean, the minute they signed this dude, the first thing we heard about was there are some fielding concerns, and I'm very curious to see how that plays out. I do think left field at Fenway is going to help him tremendously if that is a serious issue because of the the monster out there, because of the fact that it's a little more shallow. He's got less ground to play. That should be a very at least something that aids him in adjusting to the majors. But fielding-wise, I mean, there's only so much left field can do. He's got to be able to get out there, catch catch the, catch the balls that are hit to him, obviously. I don't really know why the fuck I just said that. And also, he's got to be able to get out there, and he's got to be able to have at least a decent arm. I mean, that was something I noticed last year that plays a little too much of a factor if a guy's arm is, is that bad. I mean, Jaron Duran last year in center field – there were scenarios where I said a dude with a better arm there probably holds that guy from going home or or something of that nature. I want to know how Yoshida's arm is is going to be on a consistent basis. I'm concerned about the fielding, but at the plate, man, am I intrigued. I like the fact that he's a smaller guy with some pop, though. I think it's it, it's some some sneaky pop. But I also think he's going to be a guy that puts a lot of contact. You know, he puts the ball in play, and that's what these guys need. They, the Sox need guys who are going to put the ball in play. No shift this year is going to enable him to probably get some more hits out of just sheerly putting the ball in play. So that's going to be something to watch. I'm nervous about the expectations of this guy. Number one, the contract. Number two, all of the projections are suggesting that this dude is going to be an all-star, which, again, never played in the majors. That's ballsy to have projections make it look as though this guy should come out and be an all-star when we've never even seen him against any of these pitchers. He's he's in a tough spot. A lot of expectations, a lot of money on his back, long-term years. I mean, in terms of, I believe it was a five-year contract. Man, there's a lot riding on Yoshida's shoulders. But again, he's got the power there. He's got the sneaky power. He's got the bat on ball. This is a guy that is going to not make or break this lineup, but be a major hinder or a major driving force. He could carry this lineup at times. That's a real possibility because of the bat on ball skills. I hope that the bat on ball skills show themselves with guys on base, but there's also a chance that he hits leadoff for this team. And if that's the case, then really it's going... the bat on ball is going to be more of, all right, we need you to get on base. And we're going to need walks, not just hits. I mean, that was something that the Red Sox seriously lacked last year and would be a massive, massive upgrade if Yoshida can consistently be the leadoff hitter for this team. Another guy who has a ton on his shoulders is Alex Verdugo. This, to me, is a make-or-break season for Alex Verdugo. I think this is the season where he answers the inevitable question, is this dude an everyday player long-term in our plans for the future? This is the season to prove it. Verdugo has to step up. He has to be better offensively, and he has to be better defensively. There can't be any miscues in the outfield. There can't be the scenario of losing the ball in the sun and the Rays end up winning that game. Any of my real fans out there know exactly what I'm talking about. Center field, Alex Verdugo booted a ball, lost it in the sun. The Rays ended up winning that game. It was one of the most brutal losses of that 21 season, and I left extremely pissed off. I actually left and said I never want to see Alex Verdugo play center field ever again. A little bit of an over-exaggeration on my end, but 
This is the season Alex Verdugo proves is he going to be a long-term Red Sox. There was some talks over social media. There were some reports that, you know, he was open to an extension, maybe even brought it up. I, I think he downplayed it by coming out and saying it was all jokes. Either way, I could see Alex Verdugo getting an extension if he does step up and he does step into the guy that this team thought they were trading for when they dealt Mookie Betts for him as the centerpiece of the deal. But he's going to have to go up there and he's going to have to show that now that the shift is not a thing, he can spread the ball around to multiple spots and not be hindered by that shift. I think the shift has played a major factor in Alex Verdugo's struggles at the plate at times. When he gets really cold, it seems to be a lot of ground balls, a lot of line drives right field. Without that shift, I do think it opens up a real chance for Verdugo to get a lot more hits on that right side of the infield. And that could open up a bag of worms here where he does turn into a much more reliable and effective player than he's been in years past. Now, I'm not in any way saying he wasn't reliable because Alex Verdugo has been a guy that is out there. You can count on him to be in that lineup and you know what to expect relatively from him at the plate. But now we want to see a little bit more. I want to see a little bit more power. I want to see a little bit more contact up there. I want to see a little bit more maturity. And he's not immature. I'm not saying that. Just more maturity. Build off of what you had last year. We need to see Alex Verdugo step into the best version of himself this season. We need to see him take that next step. And if he does, I think he's here in Boston for a long time. He's a fan favorite. I mean, there's a lot of people that are out there that Alex Verdugo is their favorite player on this team. I don't blame them. Flashy guy. Loves being in Boston. That's one aspect of Alex Verdugo that I fucking love. That guy wants to be here. He likes being a Red Sox. He likes the pressure. He likes the fact that the fans are so into it. I mean, how many guys have come here that we've desperately wanted that from? We want them to love this city. We want them to embrace being here. Alex Verdugo is doing that, and he's done that since the day he was brought here. That's what I like about Alex Verdugo. But now it's time to get on that field become the best version of yourself this season and show you worked your ass off, you deserve a contract extension, and hopefully it happens. I think this is a huge opportunity for Verdugo, for Verdugo but there's obviously some pressure there. I want to see how he responds. I want to see just, I need to see the 2023 season of Alex Verdugo because, man, I expect a lot. I do. I, I believe in Verdugo. I think he can take that step that I'm talking about. But I guess we're just going to have to see. Another pleasant surprise of spring training has been some of the younger pitchers that have made some appearances. 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 Uh, I mean, you look at Brian Mata. This is a dude who's starting to pop off the screen and, and starting to make some noise. I'm excited for him to make it to the big league level at some point. I think... You know, obviously the speed pops off the page. This is a dude who's pumping in high 90s in there. And another aspect of it is he's a starter. He's not a reliever yet. It seems as though they're still trying to stick to maybe him being a starter. Me personally, when I watch him, it does feel as though he's eventually going to be in the bullpen. He seems like that would be the best spot for him long term. I think he can be extremely effective with that type of speed coming in for an inning or two that will allow him to really empty the tank and really maximize how hard he is throwing when he makes his appearances. But I'm also on board for a starter. Obviously the stuff probably won't play that deep into his starts. He will start to lose some velocity. So you wonder, does he have 
the secondary pitches and the mindset to be able to overcome that later on in starts. Who knows? That's obviously still to be seen. We haven't seen enough of him at the big league level to determine that. But that's a dude who I view as next up in terms of the pitching prospects for this this Sox team. And that's the dude that I have my eye on. Uh, same way that I was watching Bayo when he was down there and, and seemed to be the next guy that you had a chance to rely on as a um, reliable big leaguer. Let's put it that way. And I think Mata has the potential there really to make a splash this season for the Sox. I'm not sure if he's going to make that opening day roster. I I think if he doesn't, at some point, we will see him in the majors in 2023. It's really just a matter of time. Like I said, I mean, the Sox aren't reactionary. They are going to make sure that they feel as though these guys are 100% ready if they are going to be in the majors. So it's still to be seen what happens with Brian Mata, but this is definitely a guy to watch for this team. This is definitely a guy that could be a real factor in terms of a pleasant surprise in this either bullpen or if he's got to make a rotation start. I'm not sure what the short-term vision is for him, but I know long-term I view him as eventually making his way to the pen. Maybe I'm, I'm dead wrong. Who knows? I'm kind of a fucking idiot. So yeah, that, that's, that, that's definitely possible. Another aspect of spring training has been Jaron Duran. I've seen a lot of positive tweets about Jaron Duran. In regards to, you know, liking the swing changes, liking what you've seen from him in spring training, and I don't want to go all negative, I don't see it with Jaron Duran. I don't see it. I I like the fact that he's putting in the effort to get better and, and, and to be a more consistent big leaguer, but man... Obviously, I'm, I'm I'm not a fan of the outfield for Jaron Duran. I don't think he has the arm to play the outfield. And, I mean, take that for what it's worth. I mean, you're talking to a dude who didn't even play college baseball. But I, from what I see from Jaron Duran out in the outfield, I don't think he's got the arm to play out there. I don't think he's got the correct reads to play a center field for the Red Sox. That was blatantly evident last year. There were some struggles going back on balls in terms of fly balls. And he's a guy that showed that he didn't have the mental makeup last year to be in the majors. We saw some things from him that just were not okay for a guy that should be showing the maturity to be in the majors. That just wasn't there last year. And listen, I hope this dude proves me dead wrong. I hope he comes out this year. He's making contact. He's walking. He's stealing bags. He's playing a good field. I just don't see it. I don't see it. I think that... I was hoping that they would find a way to package he and Bobby Dalbeck for some type of return, but that just didn't seem to be in the cards. Probably High and Bloom most likely felt that he would be selling them at an all-time low, which is never something you want to be doing as a, as a general manager. So, you know, I understand that aspect of it, but man, I don't know. I I think that when you have a guy like Mondesi, if he's going to come in here and he can play the role of the speedster, where does that leave Duran? Where is his spot on this team? I don't know. It seems like that might be in Worcester and trying to, to get himself back into a spot where he's yet again ready to play in the majors. The Sox made enough moves in terms of the outfield that they probably aren't going to need the services of Jaron Duran very often. And are you doing him a disservice with him not playing much but still being on your major league roster? Probably, especially with a guy that's trying to figure it out with his swing, what his consistent swing is going to be. 
That's one thing about him is he's always going to change it up. He's not afraid to say, all right, this isn't working. Scratch it. Let's try another stance. Let's try my hands here. Let's try my feet spread apart a little bit more. But at some point, you got to find the swing that you're going to roll with, and that's going to be it. I thought Pete Rose made a great point in one of the videos I watched one day is that that swing, that big league swing, or that swing that you have is what got you to the big leagues. Changing it and, and doing all this nonsense, it might not be the best thing for you. Pete Rose said he used to move up in the box. He used to move back in the box, farther away from the plate, closer to the plate, things like that. Slight adjustments like that instead of really changing his swing as a whole. Now, obviously, we're talking about one of the greatest hitters ever, but man, I think there's some validity to that swing got you to the big leagues and don't keep playing with it. But that's just not how Jaron Duran goes about his business. And that's okay. Not every guy has to be the same. But I will say, I don't see it with Jaron Duran. I think moving forward, maybe a fresh start in another spot is exactly what he needs. It would probably make the most sense for both parties. And that's that's where I'm at with it. I'm out on Jaron Duran. Last thing I want to touch on here is what's the view of the 2023 Red Sox? You know, you got people out there that are saying, oh, this is a bridge here. You know, just, just take it what it is. Hopefully it's a little fun and, and we'll see what happens in 24 because there's some free agents coming up in, in the offseason that maybe you get your hands on or it's really more about the free agency class, not this upcoming offseason, but the offseason after that where some of the really big stars are at. But then you got other people that are saying, hey, man, let's uh, let's just give them a chance. Let's see what happens. And then you got the other people that are like, hey, I think they're going to make some noise. I, I think they're going to shock a lot of people and make some noise. Now, me, I it's tough not to say that they can be a good team because they really can. I think the way in which the High and Bloom has built this team enables them to be a lot more equipped to overcome rough injury stretches than they were last year. The only thing is they don't have nearly as many big names in this lineup. They don't have nearly as much... Uh, championship pedigree in this lineup as they did last season. But they just have this feeling around them that they can be a really fun team. And the reason I say that is because the guys that they signed seem to be a lot of dudes, high energy, good vibe guys. They they have a lot of dudes that are towards the end of their career that want to make that one last run. They want to play in one last big game. And they made some key signings in terms of filling some holes that they had last season. You know, Yoshida comes in here. He potentially can be the leadoff hitter for this team that they so desperately needed last season. They went out and signed Chris Martin and Kenley Jansen to ensure that they had a reliable back end of their bullpen instead of just trotting every fucking Joe Schmo they can find out there and having every fan sitting at home shitting his pants on the couch. I mean, let's be honest, everybody. When that when that green door opened and Ryan Brazier or uh, uh, Tyler Danish was running towards the mound, every single one of us, whether it was in our head or out loud, whether it was in our head or out loud, we sat there and we said, fuck. Let's be honest. Be honest with yourself. Because I never, ever felt comfortable last year when the bullpen was coming into the game. It was always anxiety-ridden. It was always, can we get through this? Are they going to be able to figure this out? 
They did not have enough reliable arms in there. And I think with the addition of Martin, the addition of Jansen, the fact in which they have a very deep starting rotation made up of guys who all think that they're starters but can also be made into relievers gives them a lot of versatility pitching-wise, something that they really didn't have last year. So that end of it, when you have good pitching, that can truly be the anchor of a team. And let's be honest, nobody's saying World Series. That's not how I mean this. But that's how you win World Series, is having good pitching, reliable pitching. Obviously, you got to score runs to win, but we all know pitching comes into play very much so in the playoffs. And that is not to say that this Red Sox team has World Series aspirations, but that is to say they do have, at least on paper, reliable enough guys where if they do sneak into the playoffs, you can start fantasizing about some things. Now, in terms of the lineup, that's where I think it could obviously be better. There could be a little more power in there. you got to have Duvall being that 2021 version of himself to at least bring a, a decent amount of power to this lineup because outside of Raphael Devers, hopefully Justin Turner can can kind of turn that aspect up. Tristan Casas is a rookie. I mean, outside of Devers, Duvall is the guy that you look at like, hey, man, we need homers out of you. Everybody else, is not ne- that's not necessarily their strong suit, but they can do it. You're going to need guys to step up. You're going to need surprise guys. You're going to need Tristan Casas to surprise you a little bit, hit 20-plus homers. You're going to need a guy like Jorge Alfaro to surprise you in you know, 12 homers, 12-plus, 12 if he plays enough, obviously, and you know, going back to that segment. You're going to need Yoshida to be out there. He's going to need to hit 15-plus jacks, especially with the money he's making. You're going to need that out of him, but that's not necessarily his strong suit to power. Justin Turner, you're going to need 15-plus jacks out of him. So power-wise, you have questions. There's no doubt about it. But one thing that is improved from last year is the fact that these guys are going to make a lot more contact. At least on paper, they should. The thought process is there. They want guys that are putting more balls in play. They want less strikeouts. And hey, sign me the fuck up. Because putting balls in play, especially with this no shift, is what's going to create hits. It's what's going to create base runners. Hyam Bloom went out and said, all right, what were our three biggest problems last season? The bullpen, swing and miss, or I shouldn't say swing and miss. I think that's a little bit wrong. I should say power because I think the power was ultimately what really hurt the Sox in their lineup was the lack of power, the drop off in power from 2021 to 2022. So he Bloom didn't necessarily address that in overwhelming amount. But he did bring in a guy like Duvall, and he did bring in guys that are going to make contact. Number three was that leadoff position. I mean, man, that was a problem. They did not have a leadoff hitter, a reliable guy to go up there and get on base. If they can have that in Masataka Yoshida, who I'm going to call Yoshi all year because it's a layup and it's right there for you. If they can have that filled, they can have the pitching taken care of, the bullpen taken care of. I mean, hey, you filled... Two and a half out of three of those needs. Like I said, I'm not overwhelmingly excited about the power they brought into this lineup, but High and Bloom addressed two major needs for this team, and hopefully that's what allows them to be better than they were last year. I think that's the question here. With the losses they sustained in big-name guys like J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Nate Eovaldi, but the guys they brought in, can they be better than they were in 2022? And you know what? I think yes. 
The only reason that I think yes is because I think they created a deeper roster for this team. It's going to be a situation where guys go down, you know, you can survive that for a a 10-day or a 15-day when they're out on that IL. They're going to be able to keep their head above water as long as, you know, you don't have three, four guys go down all at once. But that's going to be something that I think is going to enable them to be better than they were last year. And when everybody's healthy, the versatility you have is incredible. They didn't have that last year. They were calling up guys or signing guys that you knew just weren't going to be able to get the job done. I don't think that's going to be as big of a problem this year. And I think that's what's ultimately going to be able to lead them into a better season than they had in 2022. They're going to have multiple guys at multiple positions. They're going to have, they're going to be able to pinch hit when they need to and fill that role with a guy that's capable of doing it. And they're going to be able to spot start guys. They're going to be able to get some guys off their feet with guys that are capable of filling whoever is, is having that off day capable of stepping in there and doing exactly what you need them to do. The Sox are a deeper roster that has more versatility than they did last year. And that ultimately will be the reason they are better in 23 than in 22. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I will hopefully be back on a more consistent basis, but I've learned my lesson. Let's not make promises that I can't keep. I did that on a few of the last episodes. Let's fucking go Sox, man. They're around the corner. we got the World Baseball Classic coming up, and then it's all systems go. It's probably going to be, what, a week, week and a half left of spring training after that, and then boom, opening day. I will be at the second game of the season at Fenway Park uh, against the Orioles. I'm excited for that. Probably, I assume, we'll see Corey Kluber. I would have to assume in that scenario. We will have to see. But let's go Sox. And don't forget, Venezuela, the most underrated team in the World Baseball Classic. Oh, 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 oh,